people want to believe. We just tell each other, just read the Bible. But what happens when it isn't so easy to understand? This is No God. I'm Micah, and I am here today with my dad, Tony Kafka. Hi, um, I am Tony. I've been in church leadership for more than 40 years, and I've been a part of many discussions standing around in church lobbies or just answering emails and just talking to people, straightforward questions. And I've answered them, tried to answer them. And what I realized is there are some basic facts that are really easy to apply in understanding the Bible, and even most valuable, things that help us to know God. All right. And also joining us today is my mom, Sandy. Hi, I have been married to this preacher for 43 years <laughs> and um, have a few experiences in my growth, my own personal growth with God that hopefully I can contribute something to this. All right, well, thanks right. for joining us. Yep. So, uh, Dad, what is our topic for today? Well, today's topic is driven by the question, how can I love what I fear? It's a, It's that dilemma of... Uh, we know in the Bible that we are that the fear of the Lord is a very important part of life, while at the same time we're told to be totally drawn by a love for the Lord. And so this tension often brings a big question to people's lives. All right. So, what is fear? <laughs> it's funny. This is one of those, you've seen those movies and you've seen people use it, but it actually, you know, it's like fear actually does mean fear. It doesn't mean something else. Uh, but because we always want to say that fearing the Lord really just means that you're in awe of him or that you respect him or even that you love him. And sometimes even that's try that's kind of the shortcut way of trying to explain uh, this big question about fearing the Lord. But fear of the Lord really is just that we have passages in the Old Testament. Psalm 111 verse 10 is a very it, not necessarily well known in reference, but well known in principle. And that is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And everybody who follows his precepts will have good understanding. And so that's repeated in Proverbs. It's repeated in a few other places in the Bible. It's the beginning point to really understanding what's going on in the world. And so that's that's what drives this question on that side of it. All right. So um, I can think of like a number of different kinds of fear. So like uh, you could have like fear of irrational things, you know, like just kind of a general fear or fear of a car that's coming right at you or an animal that's chasing you or like kind of like a fear of like if you're standing at a high place and it's just this dread I guess mm -hmm. like is it one of those is it a different type of fear yeah uh, well we we call those phobias okay generally speaking and actually of all things the Greek word behind this word English word fear is actually phobia uh, but when we talk about phobias in our day and time, we are talking about irrational things. We're talking about things that, that yes, they have kind of a possibility of hurting you or they, you should be fearful of them. But generally, people's phobias are driven by a sense that it can happen all the time or without any particular cause and effect. It's just going to happen inevitably. And so phobia, as we know it now, that kind of fear, is not... What Well, people could have a phobia of God, but it wouldn't help them. It would not be the result of this passage being fear the, fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That would be uh, something else. But So it's, it's not that, but because phobias are irrational, at least in how people are living them. But fear of the Lord is about knowing exactly the potential that God could bring in 
the world and in the person's life, and that it's something that could have devastating consequences for a person that doesn't know what this fear is about, or what the Lord is about. All right. So fear is also reverence, and we get that, and that's often kind of where the shortcut in talking to somebody's question about this, you know, how can I fear the Lord when I'm supposed to love him? We often just take a really quick answer, and that is, oh, it's about revering the Lord. It's about having being in awe of him. And that is ultimately true. But I do believe it is fundamentally driven by the human response to situations where that scares me. You know, we have the shepherds in the fields in the Christmas story yeah. that they saw the angel with the light around that angel and the angel sent, saying this message. And what does the angel say to the shepherds? Because they were shaking they were in terrified. their boots. They were terrified, <laughs> sore afraid. And the angel says, do not be afraid. All right. I, I've thought about that one a little bit because, you know, a few years ago I did a, a painting on that very scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the ways I got into that kind of that headspace to try to get it was thinking about, um, you know, shepherds experiencing something kind of completely out of their realm of experience. Because, you know, you have angels, which are a completely different thing than anything you come across in like the physical world. Mm-hmm. So it's like what happens when that invades shepherds, just normal life? And so, you know, I try to depict the otherworldliness of that and kind of the fear of just being, it's not the same fear as like a bear's right getting ready to eat my face off. It's a fear of just, I can't understand what's happening. Is this the kind of fear we're talking about? It definitely would include very much of that. It is, here's something that I have very little way of knowing what it's all about. I, I can't understand it. Yeah, because you've never experienced it. So it's something totally different than you... You don't know whether you're t- to be terrified or not. So you're right. terrified. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah, exactly. And if there isn't something protecting us in that situation, it obviously could get out of hand and get us. It's like fear of fire or fear of heights. I don't want to get to the edge of something and fall off because that actually would be horrible and destructive. And so that fear is that I don't want to get to where I'm going to slide off. I want to stay back from it. And so the fear of the shepherds in this particular incident is here's this awesome phenomenon that has not happened in my lifetime. I have no way of referencing it. And so my first response is fear, which is a human response to any unknown situation is fear that feels a bit like terror, actually. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about the fear of the Lord... There is a point where it it seems to be the it, it is a natural response to think about God or to experience God and to have a experience of what we would call terror or at least fright. Um, you know, we are such a sophisticated society now that we don't want to ha- be afraid of anybody. You know, and that's that's uh, almost a badge of honor for men and women in America is that nothing scares me. And that's really at the heart of what this this biblical teaching is talking about, is that, well, yeah, there actually are some things that you should be afraid of. And one of them is the, the power beyond us that is God. And God has the power to create. And so when it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it is we think about the actual truths about the Lord, the Lord God, and that is, one, he's creator. He is the one has the power that got all of this going. And so the 
fear of the Lord, beginning of wisdom, is puts God at the beginning point of all creation. It gets puts God at the center of authority and power in this lifetime. And so um, I may fear a government or a police officer or even just a bully, a, a that kind of person, just because I know that I can't contain their power. Okay. And so I fear them in that sense. And so there is a sense where we realize I cannot contain the power of God. Therefore, my response is fear. He's beyond my power. And so even though that's not the definition of fear, really the way that we experience it is, here's something beyond my power to protect myself from. Only if that power, in this sense God, is willing to not hurt me, am I going to be safe. I can't stop him from doing whatever he pleases. Right. I can't stop that power. Right. And so I think that's what this passage in the Old Testament is talking about. And again, I just was kind of thinking about this, listening to Proverbs this week, and I was re-listening to chapter 1, and I realized it. the preamble of that is, here's Solomon saying, I'm the, I'm the king, and I want to pass this wisdom along to my son. And he you know, had more than one son, but he was passing along his wisdom and at the very front end of it he's saying is there's a way to order the universe and the way to order our lives and it begins with putting God in the place that God actually is so that's the fear of the Lord I believe in a practical sense is putting God in the place of authority and power in my life that he has Right. I mean he has it whether I accept it or not but it is that I accept that he has that position of authority and power in my life. So, um, I think I can get my head around, like, you know, why if, you know, he's very, especially when it's a new concept completely, God is a new concept, it's very easy to understand why that's something to be scared of. But as you get to know more about God, does that mean you fear him less because he's less, un, you know, he's, he's less mysterious? Or do you fear him more because of that? Actually, I think it would be the same amount of fear um, but our lives would not be driven by that fear I think that in coming to know God and we can kind of we can just jump ahead to New Testament teaching it's also in the Old Testament but in the New Testament teaching, we know that because uh, the the passage that is the the foil to this that is the the counterbalance to the fear of the Lord is that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So we either right. fear him or we love him. Yeah. And in the New Testament, you have that uh, given out in a big summary statement in the epistle of John, the first epistle of John, First John 4, where it says, we know and we come to rely on the love that God has for us. And so it doesn't say we come to rely on the fear that we have of him, or we don't even come to rely on his power. We come to rely on his love as the primary way that we relate to him. So we're not relating to him out of fear. And so this passage is that more famous one where it talks about, first of all, God is love, which actually, just kind of a trivial point is, <laughs> this is the only place in the whole Bible where it actually says God is love. Really? That phrasing, yes. It's assumed, it's stated, but he is loving, but to actually say he is love, this is the only place. It often talks about the love of the Lord, yeah. or that he is loving toward his creation and all this kind of stuff, but to define him as he is love and the source of all love, this is the only place in the Bible 
that it says it. It's really why First John 4, that verse is probably one of the more critical verses to help stamp it kind of be an anchor point for any Bible interpretation. Okay, okay. And what's like, is that uh, just a, a, a weird trick of wording or what? how does that actually translate from you know what it comes from is that something like any translation is going to have it that way or pretty yeah i don't think any translation is not going to have it that way it is very straightforward uh in the greek that john wrote in and really first john is one of those portions of the bible passage of the bible that is other than a couple of exceptions <laughs> it is the most plain spoken piece of scripture and in fact in seminaries First John is often the very first book of the Bible that beginning Greek students learn to translate because nice. it is such simple language. And so this simply is stated, God is love. And that passage goes on and says, whoever, so then whoever lives in love is living in God. Because okay. it's not just that we're imitating God, it is that actually to live in love is actually to live in God. I, and I do believe that that is a spiritual Reality. It's not just that we're like being like God or that we're close to God. It is actually we that is entering into the life of God. And so in this way, love is made complete in us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment, which is the counter again to fear of judgment. Because what judgment is one of the things that people in especially in, in traditional churches, not so much talked about nowadays, but if we really stop and think about God's power, judgment should be a fearful thing. Right, But this is telling us that if we are living in love and therefore living in God, then we have a confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we're like him. We're imitating his, his style. But verse 18, there is no fear in love. And again, that's the counter to this question of how can I love <laughs> right. that which I fear? Okay. And this passage actually tells me if I'm living in love, I don't have fear. I'm not living in fear. Well, that makes me think, you know, I think about as, as a child, you, f you know, you fear your parent, at least we grew up fearing our parents, you know, in the era Should of, I answer you know, that spankings one? <laughs> and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but, the, but then when you become totally convinced that they love you, you're able to accept the boundaries that they put more and stuff. And the fear is not a terrified fear as much anymore because the more you get to know that person, your parent, it could be a boss or something too I guess my thought was parent and you know that you can trust them you know their love is for real right you still fear them because you know they have power over you but it, so I think that's with God for me you know I grew up being afraid of him because I thought he was going to zap me every time I did yeah. something wrong but the more I understood his love and was able to believe that I mattered to him and that he <laughs> loved me you know then my fear became different yeah I don't that's no, interesting. Yeah. Um, so, my parents are right here, so I'm going to talk about them. Um, <laughs> and my parents did spank me. And for those of you that think that's wrong, sorry, but um, <laughs> I don't think I have any lasting trauma from it. But I think I, I really can get that because as a little kid, I remember being kind of scared of mom and dad because, you know, if I did something wrong, it's going to hurt. But I think, um, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about why they don't want to spank and all that kind of stuff. I think. You know, I don't even know if I've ever said this to you. What I've learned to respect from the way you guys approached it, it was it was never an immediate thing. Um, if we were going to get spanked, there was like this calm down period, which I always thought was for us to be like miserable in like the fear of it coming. But um, I kind of suspect, and maybe I was wrong, but it was to give you guys the opportunity to calm down so you weren't emotional when you disciplined us. 
Right. Um, so as I grew, grew older, I started to feel this, like, y- there was no way you guys were enjoying this. This was also painful in a way for you guys. Um, and learned to respect that, oh, yeah, they, they really do love me. This is just them trying to steer me in the right direction. So there wasn't this fear anymore as I realized love. And then eventually, you know, the, it, I, the spanking stopped. I think part of that is because there, there was no longer, you know, an, uh, a need for it to continue because of the way my mind had changed. But I think, you know, I, I really appreciate the way you guys did that because it taught me um, that even though, you know, there was correction coming, you guys did love me. Well, this is kind of an interesting point because the concept of fear moving us to have a genuine love relationship with that power, in this sense, God, or with parents, is the progression that I think is the answer to this question, how can I fear that which I am supposed to love? Right. Or, and even stating it in the reverse, how can I love that which I'm supposed to fear? And so I think that this progression that is being described right here by you guys is really the heart, the, the emotional heart of the answer to this question. And I think, again, it reflects in First John with that 18th verse of chapter 4, where it says, there's no fear in love, which is interesting. Yeah. But, so that uh, ultimately love becomes the center of the relationship. Fear is not the center of it, even though the reason for the fear initially is still exists. That is, that God has all power. But now... It is in this love relationship, I realize God has all power and he's using all of that power for my good. Right. So, um, I think you said the verse earlier and I'm going to butcher it for a second. So the, the, the fear of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, and there's no fear in love. Right. But perfect love casts out fear. So that's, that's the progression of the beginning of understanding love starts with fear. Yeah. And actually in traditional Orthodox, <laughs> traditional Orthodox Western Christian theology, <laughs> to All get right. very, very specific. So, cause that's the, that's the heritage that most American uh, Christians, most American churches are going to be in. We're influenced more by the Western church than by the Eastern church of the, the Greek Orthodox. So just sticking to Western Christianity, the progression of realizing that a person, and this is also then where evangelical conversion teaching is built on too, is that a person has to be aware of the fact that they have rebelled against the Almighty God before they can be brought to accept a forgiveness that comes because Jesus' death on the cross in order to pay, to satisfy the uh, justice of God makes no sense if there is no such thing as sin. Right. If there's not a sin that is defined as rebellion, which, by the way, First John also is the one who defines sin as lawlessness or disregard of any governance, any authority over my life. That is the okay. fundamental nature of sin. And so, again, that's why I point out First John is a, is a really critical book and, and plain spoken book. And so with this, then, we have that there is the fear of punishment doesn't happen if we don't believe that God will punish. Right. And that is really, in our society, that has been a very popular kind of theological practice or place where people want to be that God is love. He's not going to, you know, everybody's, all dogs go to heaven kind of theology where right. there's no there's no hell or at least no eternal punishment. 
but yet still we live in a time of so much chaos and so much uh hatred and evil happening to people that almost everybody at least and everybody that I bump into and I will accept the fact that there are some people who maybe don't have this position but everybody has their push point where they finally go that person deserves an ultimate punishment because of the evil that they have done to someone else or to some group of people everybody eventually has that threshold which there is nothing there is no eternal punishment if there's not a god right to be the judge right and th- so then <clears throat> um the love casting out fear has to do with the fact that we come to know god's love more a- as the solution to what our fear is our fear is that he will punish us or that he won't help us and his love is demonstrated in this romans 5 8 in this that when we were still sinners Christ died for us. So in other words, even when we were totally unaware of what we needed, a solution that we needed, God was already working out that solution. And so then when we come to realize that, we go, wow, it's not so much about fear. This is about the amazing love that God has for people to bring them to a point where they can relate to him only in love rather than only in fear. Right. And I think this is the concept of this first first John 4 principle. And where they come to totally trust him when that moves to where you totally trust him. You come to where you realize that then that does something to the fear where the fear then is more of his, of who he is and that he would love me enough to do what he did. I I don't know if that makes any sense, yeah. but that's what yeah. came to my mind. Right. Because again that perfect love casts out fear or drives out fear as the first John 4 passage says. We often will immediately jump into it and say, oh, so that's, that's happening within me. That is, perfect. when I'm experiencing perfect love, that I feel perfectly loved and that I'm trying to live a life of perfect love toward other people, fear is going to be pushed out of my life. But if we take that and put it back on God as the center of this, we realize that the perfect love is his perfect love drives out the fear mm-hmm. out of us. Because yeah, as you said that, I felt that coming up inside of me again, knowing I can't ever get to that perfection of right. what you were describing. It's, if, if it's not coming on God's side, I'm sunk. Right. <laughs> I didn't, you know, and I, as I prepared uh, kind of what, you know, how I've answered this question to people, um, I've always believed that First John 4 uh, and basically verses 16 to 18 are a very key answer. In other words, if, you, if you're going to direct somebody to just one passage of scripture to try to answer this question, this is the answer to it. It doesn't state the question because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom actually mm-hmm. states the question. Right. But this is the solution to the question. And again, we have to be really careful when we're reading the Bible and interpreting the Bible. We are so inclined to center it on ourselves that my perfect love is going to drive out the fear in me. But no, it's actually... God's perfect love, an outside force outside of me, is going to come into me and drive out fear as my primary motive for anything, including huh. my relationship with him. Because of the devastation, and again, in, in uh, recovery programs uh, and in counseling lit- literature, often you know, many, many of those define fear as the fundamental driver to all dysfunction in life. Yeah, And so if we want to move away from ineffective ways of living, we have to have a power outside of ourselves bringing love into us to basically push out 
our motivations of fear is our primary response. And fear is a real thing. I mean, in Christians who are being persecuted or anybody who is being harmed by other people, fear of that harm, the physical pain, all of the stuff that a person can bring to, you know, the, the evil can bring into our lives, uh, evil actions can bring into our lives. Those are legitimate fears. Yeah. But, but if we're driven by those fears, we will end up doing bad behaviors. But if we are empowered by love of God, in essence, interpreting those fears and making those fears not the drivers in our life, but rather just almost more like a a uh, a, a starting point. In other words, it tells me action's got to be taken. I'm being hurt. One of my loved ones is being hurt. Mm-hmm. I fear that hurt. And so I'm going to do something about it. But if I'm totally driven out of fear, it's going to tend to turn into hatred and anger and animosity and bitterness. Whereas if it's driven by love, then the actions are going to be for the good of people. And that's a maturity that is rare actually. And just add that just to not get it down the rabbit hole. <laughs> but just think of the American political climate in this year, 2018, and many of the handful of years before it. What is, what's driving a lot of it? Fear. Fear is driving it. And so the right. response tends to be selfish and angry and hurtful and destructive. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, <laughs> we'll, we'll avoid the rest of that rabbit hole. <laughs> so, to kind of add some sidebars to this, what so other benefits? Because we realize yeah. that knowing that fear is a beginning point, but that it is not the end point, and that fear causes us to go, wow, God is powerful and fearful. That is, He could hurt me, but He is love. And so, He has already done all the loving things and it will continue to do loving things to help move me into that healthy life. Of love, but there's another aspect that's so that you know. So I become more loving as a benefit of getting this in balance. But another benefit, actually, that the Old Testament teaches that taught people about a balance in their life was from Psalm 86, verses 11 and 12, which says, "Teach me your way, O Lord." So I, I'm fearing God, so I'm asking Him to teach me. Mm-hmm. So I respect that He's got all that I need. Teach me your way, Lord that I may rely on your faithfulness, which again, we're talking a little bit like relying on his love. Faithfulness is a component of his love. And give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And so there is then almost like this acceleration of reverence. And I would say at this point, the fear of the name of the Lord becomes a reverence mm-hmm. and an awe of him. It's not fear, the, the terror, that mm-hmm. there is a real terror of God that should is a legitimate, rational thing if he is the creator. So, I mean, and since we believe that, that's, that's where we're going with this. And so, the undivided heart that is growing in us, because our, we're not, because a, a divided heart is, I have some love motivations and I have some fear motivations. An undivided heart is, I am only motivated by love. That's an undivided heart. Okay. And so an undivided heart then brings me to respect and be more amazed at who God is, his name, his reputation. So again, that's another benefit of keeping yeah, these things in balance. To, and enables, enables you to trust him more. Right. And so, yeah, some of these core things of our how we have a relationship with God, trust that is based on love and, is, and grows through love. Trust never grows from fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trust always grows in a loving environment. Right. Fear only gets people's attention. And then if the <clears throat> person of fear, let's just say back to your 
your thoughts about parenting. Yeah. If the parent is only and always feared, there will never be a trust. Mm-hmm. Right. But then since... Or love. Yeah. <laughs> since I could see that I could trust you guys, then eventually the fear... Became second. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you became less rebellious because that's, <laughs> that's when you got spanked is when you rebelled against what we yeah. said. You know? well, rebellious? <laughs> yeah. And again, this is not a this is not a blog or a podcast on parenting. No. I don't know how that <laughs> But parents <Sorry>. also, <laughs> the, the one thing that's, there is a similarity even with how God deals with people. But that is a parent eventually, as the child is growing older into into toward adulthood, the parent is letting them become more and more accountable to God himself and also to just simply the consequences mm-hmm. of this created universe. Right. right. And so loving parents still in our culture, and I would say that biblically it's true, are guarding their children from doing something that's going to kill them so <laughs> they can actually survive to adulthood. <laughs> and that is, the, that is the tension of parents is not being driven by the fear that their child's going to kill themselves, which is actually a legitimate fear that parents have. Yeah. And so they put the guidelines in place so that the child will become self-governing and you know, the ability to make wisdom, which is the fear. And let's just, we, we are saying the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but actually fear is the beginning of any wisdom. Right, okay. The fear of being run over by a car causes a person to have the wisdom not walk out in front of a car that's coming 40 miles an hour at you. Yeah. So it's a principle. It's a principle that is the Bible uses about God, but it's actually, if you just want to do about everything that could hurt you in life, it's true. Right, okay. You know, fear of it is the beginning of wisdom about it, you know? <laughs> that makes sense. So, yeah. So this is not really like a, a, a uh, some type of difficult to understand spiritual principle that we have to try to somehow believe that it's true. Yeah. It's, people live their lives by this principle all the time. Yeah. I think it's just, you know, there's, you, you never have to learn to love the car that's coming at you to, to function. You know, the, the fear of staying out of the road, that's just, that's the end point. It's not the beginning point of that relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it's, uh, um, there aren't a whole lot of examples that I can think of where the fear eventually shifts into love. But, you know, you know parenting is definitely one we can see that, but... I think a lot of people don't, um, I, I can't think of really any other examples of that off the top of my head. Yeah. Probably not. Um, so kind of take this, this uh, our thoughts here about um, how can I love that which I fear and how can I fear that which I love. There's also then, because you know, take, take our first John passage, perfect love drives out fear. But what if that love is imperfect? That is, in other words, it's not perfect. It's, it's imperfectly reciprocated back to God. God's bringing this perfect love into my life, but I'm not reciprocating that love. And so then fear is going to continue to kind of be there for us. And so that's a spiritual growth issue. But then there's also, and again, uh, there's also the warnings that are like in the book of Hebrews, which has a number of warnings. But in the book of Hebrews, an epistle that was written that's a little bit longer than 1 John, and later in the years of the apostles, so it's kind of a, it's one of those big summary type uh, books, there's this warning that says, if we deliberately, this is out of the NIV, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, then no sacrifice of sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. And then that passage is summed up with this very last verse in chapter 10 of Hebrews that says, and it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
And so this is a warning that's given maybe not maybe not just exclusively to followers of Christ because again depends on where we land on eternal eternal security about a person mm-hmm. always being saved. This passage is at least saying you can't just play around with this trying to manipulate a relationship with God and call it love um, because ultimately if our lifestyle is not absorbed into a lifestyle of love, then we are still deliberately just going on a path of sin. And there is a warning that says that that person is going to fall into the hands of the living God. And so then fear comes back into play in that, in that description. And so when you think about Paul was at least writing this to a church and to or Paul or whoever was writing it, that's not for sure who did, um, that there is a sense where if we never take, if we never totally, if we never um, trust mm-hmm. that love relationship, but we just somehow fake it, okay, at least let's just say that, then there still is ultimately judgment at the end. And the one thing, again, it's found in First John chapter 5 that says that when we have come into relationship with Christ, we have already passed from death into life. We have already bypassed a judgment of potential condemnation. Right, yeah. So again, that, that moves into another area of theology. But for this one, it is, there's this, the, the concept of fear, that respect of God for who he is, is always true. But we have the opportunity to be in a love relationship with him rather than in a fear-based relationship with him. I, I really think it's the bottom line to answering this question is that, there, yes, fear is real. Fear of the Lord is real. But that is not God's plan for us to have a relationship with him. He wants to have a love relationship with us, not a fear, power, authority relationship with us. Nice. So I, I, I think that, you know, unless you guys have, you know, like a way to kind of uh, make me be a little more specific on how to answer this question, uh, those are passages. There are tons of other passages that talk about the fear of the Lord and the love of the Lord. Yeah. Well, do you have some others, if, you know, further reading for curious listeners that they could uh, jump into? Well, on the fear side, we have Jesus himself saying in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Okay, there's a big one for fear right mm-hmm. there. And Jesus is basically telling the people that were listening to him, you know what? Fear is a reality of, of human existence. So your fear needs to be fear of the one who actually has the ultimate power, which is the one that can destroy both body and soul in an eternal right. hell. So that one is that is that side right there. It counters the assumption that the world and any force other than God is our ultimate fear. Which actually, again, just to kind of add a sidebar to this, I don't understand why more believers are not getting this when it comes to the political climate in our country. There's so much fear-driven stuff. I don't. Need, I just don't even know how we can read the Bible and read the New Testament, the words of Jesus, and be so fear-driven yeah. in these things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so I think you know that's one thing. Um, we need to realize that there are threats in the world, but we are reassured by God that he loves us and that that's the power of his relationship. 
And that's interesting, Isaiah chapter 8, which jumps back a thousand years before Christ. But it's an interesting kind of thing for our own day and time when it comes to fear. Isaiah 8, 12 and 13 says, Don't call conspiracy everything that this people calls conspiracy, and don't fear what they fear, and don't dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one that you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And so again, when we think about Bible interpretations, especially yeah. Old Testament, often they used a kind of a a uh, two ways of saying the same thing so that you would get a better definition of this. And in this case, we're getting a fuller definition of the word fear, and in particular, fear of the Lord or even dread of the Lord. And that yeah. is that the Almighty is the one that you should regard as holy. Okay. So that's the, that's the positive way of saying fear of the Lord, that I regard him as holy. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the positive point yeah. of that. And so wisdom starts with fear, but it doesn't end there. You know, God poses an ominous threat to my actual existence, but he actually, the bottom line for many of us is, he poses an ominous threat to my ego. (laughs) That I am not the center of the universe. He is. And so, the secrets of the Lord are for those who fear him. He will make known his covenant, his intimate relationship, his friendship with us comes from, starts with fear, but it ultimately is experienced in a loving relationship. So really, I think that's the answer to how can we love that which we fear? Yeah. It is that love is the ultimate goal of the beginning point of being in reverent awe of the holy, almighty creator. So I think that's how we can know God better. <laughs> well, I think this is a, a good topic to start out with, um, especially with the, you know, the name of our podcast is uh, No God. Um, so, Ken, maybe to end today, why did we call that, this podcast, Know God? Well, ultimately, it's not knowing stuff about God. It's not knowing information about God. And even as Solomon's words and what was in the Psalms is the beginning, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, we could be driven by simply a motivation to having more information, better information, more wisdom than anybody else. But ultimately, that is not our goal of this these podcasts. The goal of the podcast is that we can, anybody who's listening, can have an avenue to experience God inside of themselves, to know God in a personal experience. So that's why we've called this Know God. <laughs>